Hello everyone and welcome to the unit 6.1 of Human Physiology of IB Biology. This unit is for both standard and high level students and is about digestion and absorption. So the unit 6.1, we're gonna explore and talk about digestion absorption, absorption and we're gonna synthesize everything step by step and explaining them. <clears throat> Let's start first by explaining what are the two major groups of organs which comprise the human digestive system. So we have two major groups of organs. There are alimentary canal and accessory organs. So the alimentary canal are consist of organs through which food actually passes, such as esophagus, stomach, small and large intestine. But the accessory organs aid in digestions but do not actually transfer food. For example, the salivary gland, the pancreas, the liver and gallbladder. Now let's get more into the alimentary canal. So we're gonna start with esophagus, part of the alimentary canal, and we're gonna explain. So esophagus is a hollow tube connecting the oral cavity to the stomach, which is separated from trachea by the epiglottis, through which food is mixed with saliva and then is moved in a bolus via the action of peristalsis. Now peristalsis is a series of wave-like muscle contractions that move food through the digestive tract, which is starts in the esophagus, where strong wave-like motions of the smooth muscle move balls of swallowed food to the stomach. <clears throat> but then when we get to stomach, stomach is a temporary storage tank where food is mixed by churning and protein digestion begins. It is lined by gastric pits that release digestive juices, which create an acidic environment. Then the food moves to a small intestine, which is a long, highly folded tube where usable food substances or nutrients are absorbed. Then we move on to the large intestine, which is the final section of the alimentary canal where water and dissolved minerals such as ions are absorbed, which consists of ascending, transverse and descending colon as well as the rectum. So then we move on to the accessory organs. So in accessory organs, we have salivary glands, pancreas, liver, and gallbladder, as we said before. First, starting with salivary glands, they release saliva to moisten food and contains enzymes, for example, amylase, to initiate starch breakdown. After this, salivary glands include the parotid gland, submandibular gland, and sublingual glands, and they move the food to pancreas. In pancreas, there is a production of a broad spectrum of enzymes that are released into the small intestine via the duodenum which they also secrete certain hormones, such as insulin, glucagon, which regulate blood sugar concentrations. Then liver takes the raw materials absorbed by the small intestine and uses them to make key chemicals. Its role includes detoxification, storage, metabolism, bile production, and hemoglobin breakdown. Liver has also specific stem cells that can regenerate when it's a small damage. So its function is secretion of surfactants in the bile to break up lipid droplets. It also detoxifies us, as we said, uh, the food from harmful chemicals that are harmful for our bodies. Then when we move on to gallbladder, the function of gallbladder is to storage and regulate the release of the bile. But in gallbladder, um, yeah, when the uh, bile is stored, it's released into the small intestine via the common bile duct. So some of the key features here are liver should look like a right angle triangle and be superimposed to the left of the stomach. 
and the bile duct and pancreatic duct should both feed into a U-shaped bend of a small intestine. Now, small intestine should be thinner in width than the large intestine. Of course, you know that. That's very easy thing. So, as we move on, uh, food can be digested by a combination of two methods, either mechanical digestion and chemical digestion. So, first of all, in mechanical digestion, food is physically broken down into smaller fragments via the acts of chewing with the mouth, churning with the stomach, and segmentation with the small intestine. Now, by starting with mechanical digestion, chewing in the mouth, when we chew the food, the food is initially broken down in the mouth by grinding actions of teeth and chewing. So when the tongue pushes, <clears throat> our tongue pushes the food toward the back of the throat, where it travels down the esophagus as a bolus, the epiglottis prevents the bolus from entering the trachea, while the uvula prevents the bolus from entering the nasal cavity. Now, after that, it's a process of churning inside our stomach. So the stomach lining contains muscles which physically squeeze and mix the food with strong digestive juices, which are churning. When food is <clears throat> churned uh, down or is digested within the stomach for several hours and is turned onto a creamy paste called the chyme. Eventually, the chyme enters the small intestine or duodenum where absorption will occur. Some facts about stomach is that stomach is uh, when it's churned is mixed with water and acids and enzymes. The acid in the stomach kills foreign pathogens and also provides the optimal conditions for the enzyme to start the protein digestion, which is important. So, <clears throat> the movement of the food with peristalsis. So peristalsis, as we said, is a mechanism of movement in the esophagus, which are wave of muscle contractions. Now, continuous segments of longitudinal smooth muscle when they contract and relax, it's called peristalsis. So they're longitudinal muscles. Segmentation, what segmentation as we before, as we said before, segmentation inside the small intestine involves the contraction and relaxation of non-adjacent segments of circular smooth muscle in the intestines. <clears throat> the segmentation contractions move chime in the both right directions, allowing for a greater mixing of the food with digestive juices. While segmentation helps to physically digest food particles, it's by directional propulsion of chime can slow overall movement. Food can be digested by a combination of two methods, uh, which in these two methods, we have learned the mechanical digestion. Now we move on to the chemical di digestion, which is when food is broken down by the action of chemical agents such as enzymes, acids, and bile. So first things first, we're going to talk about the stomach acid. The stomach contains gastric glands which release digestive acids to create a low pH environment such as a pH of 2, estimatedly. The acidic environment functions to denature proteins and other macromolecules, aiding in their overall digestion. But <clears throat> when this happens, the stomach epithelium contains a mucous membrane which prevents the acids from damaging the gastric lining. And then the pancreas releases alkaline compacts, uh, compounds such as bicarbonate ions, which neutralize acids as they enter the intestine. So what happens then in the bile? The liver produces a fluid called bile, which is stored and concentrated within the gallbladder prior to release into the intestine. While bile contains the salts, which interact with fat globules and divide them into small droplets, the emulsification, or the smaller droplets which were made of fats, increases the total surface area available for enzyme activity or a lipase. Then we move on to enzymes. Enzymes play a crucial role. 
They are biological catalysts which speed up the rate of chemical reaction, as we have said it several times, by also lowering the activation energy, of course. The enzymes allow digestive processes to therefore occur at the body temperatures and at a sufficient speed for survival requirements. Enzymes are specific for substrate and so can allow digestion of certain molecules to occur independently in distinct locations. The pancreas secretes enzymes into the lumen of the small intestine. I remember that because it's an important note. Then we move on to the digestive enzymes. They are secreted by predominantly by the pancreas, although other organs also contribute, such as the salivary glands and stomach, but pancreas more effect. The type of enzyme which is secreted and location of secretion depends on the specific macromolecule required for hydrolysis. Now, as we move on, we're going to move on to the carbohydrates. Carbohydrate digestion begins in the mouth with the release of amylase from the salivary glands. Amylase is equals to, of course, the starch digestion. Amylase is also secreted by a pancreas in order to continue carbohydrate digestion within the small intestine. Enzymes for disaccharide hydrolysis are often immobilized on the epithelial aligning of the small intestine near channel proteins. Humans do not possess any enzyme capable of digesting cellulose or cellulase, and hence it passes through the body undigested. Proteins. Protein digestion begins in the stomach with the release of protease that functions optimally in an acidic pH. Smaller polypeptide chains enter the small intestine where they are broken down by endopeptidases released by the pancreas. Now, these endopeptidases work optimally in neutral environments as the pancreas neutralizes the acids in the intestine. On the other hand, lipids, lipids breakdown occurs in the intestines, beginning with emulsification of fat globules by bile, which is released from the gallbladder. The smaller fat droplets are then digested by lipases released from the pancreas. Then at the end, we have nucleic acids. Oh my God. The pancreas also releases nucleases, which digest nucleic acids, which are DNA and RNA, into smaller nucleosides. So I now one of the key factors, identification of tissue layers in transverse sections of the small intestine is viewed with a microscope in a micrograph. Now the human intestines function to absorb the products of digestion and have a specialized structures to fulfill this function. The small intestine absorbs usable food substances such as nutrients and monosaccharides and fatty acids and amino acids. But the largest intestines absorbs water and dissolved minerals, such as ions from the indigestible food resources. Structure of the intestines, small intestine contains the serosa, muscle layer, submucosa, and mucosa. Now, serosa is a protective outer covering composed of a layer of cells reinforced by fibrous connective tissue. The muscle layer, however, is the outer layer of longitudinal muscle or peristalsis and inner layer of circular muscle with segmentation. On the other hand, submucosa, composed of connective tissue separating muscle layers from the intermost mucosa. And a mucosa is a highly folded inner layer which absorbs material through its surface epithelium from the intestinal lumen. The inner epithelial lining of the intestine is highly folded into finger-like projections called villi or villus. Many villi will protrude into the intestinal lumen, greatly increasing the available surface area for material absorption. Intestinal villi contains several key features which facilitate the absorption of digestive products such as monomers, ions, and vitamins. First of all is microvilli, which is epithelial membrane further increases the surface area. Then we have the single layer epithelium, which minimizes diffusion bet between lumen and blood. Then we have the lacteals, 
which absorb lipids from the intestine into the lymphatic system. Then we have intestinal glands, which with the exocrine pits, uh, release digestive juices and membrane proteins at the end, facilitate transport of digestive materials into the epithelial cells. The structure of villus epithelium or the epithelial lining of villi contains several structures features which optimize its capacity to absorb digested materials, such as the tight junctions, uh, microvilli, mitochondria, pinocytic uh, vesicles, and this stuff. Now with tight junctions, uh, tight junctions are associations between the plasma and plasma membrane of two adjacent cells, creating an impermeable barrier. They keep digestive fluids separated from tissues and maintain a concentration gradient by ensuring one-way movement. On the other hand, microvilli borders significantly increase surface area of the plasma membrane, allowing for more absorption to occur, and the membrane will be embedded with immobilized digestive enzymes and channel proteins to assist in material uptake. Then mitochondria with epithelial cells of intestinal villi will possess large numbers of mitochondria to provide ATP for active transport mechanisms. ATP may be required for primary active transport, against gradient, secondary active transport, co-transport, or pinocytos. Then the pinocytosis vesicles are the non-specific uptake of fluids and dissolved solutes. These materials will be digested, ingested via the breaking and reforming of the membrane and hence contained with a vesicle. Now, there are memory transport mechanisms, which are pretty long, of course. The memory transport mechanism is broken down into uh, several steps. First of all, secondary active transport is a transport protein couples the active translation of one molecule to the passive movements of another. Then the glucose and amino acids are co-transported across the epithelial membrane by the active translocation of sodium ions. Facilitated diffusion is a kind of membrane transport mechanism, which is a channel proteins uh, help hydrophilic food molecules pass through the hydrophobic portion of the plasma membrane. As we move on through, we have to understand that there are four different types of membrane transport mechanisms. There's secondary active transport, facilitated diffusion, osmosis, and simple diffusion. So as we're saying about facilitated diffusion, the channel proteins are often situated near specific membrane-bound enzymes. When certain monosaccharides, vitamins, and some minerals are transported by a facilitated diffusion. Then we have osmosis. As you all know, osmosis is when water molecules will diffuse across the membrane in response to the movement of ions and hydrophilic monomers or solutes. The absorption of water and dissolved ions occur in both the small and large intestine. And at the end, we have the simple diffusion, which hydrophobic materials, for example, lipids, may freely pass through the hydrophobic portion of the small plasma membrane. Once absorbed, lipids will often pass first into the lacteals rather than being transported via the blood. Starch is also a polysaccharide composed of glucose monomers and accounts for 60% of carbohydrates consumed by humans. Then the digestion of starch is initiated by salivary amylase in the mouth and continued by pancreatic amylase in the intestines. Amylase often digests amylose into the maltose subunits and digests amylope amylopectin into branch chains called dextrins. Both maltose and dextrin are digested by enzymes, maltase, which are fixed to the epithelial lining of the small intestine. The hydrolysis of maltose, which dextrin results in the formation of glucose monomers. Glucose can be also hydrolyzed to produce ATP, which is also cell respiration, or stored in animals as a polysaccharide glycogen. Glucose monomers can also be generated from the breakdown of other disaccharides, such as lactose and sucrose. 
let's just, um, in a self-confusing guy, let's just review the process again. So it's first polysaccharide, which is a starch. By the use of amylase enzyme, it would be broken down into disaccharides, such as maltose, sucrose, or lactose. In case of when it's broken down into disaccharides, maltose, with the use of maltase enzyme, would turn into a monosaccharide, which is two glucose. Sucrose would turn into one glucose, one fructose, and lactose would turn into one glucose, one lactose, by the use of lactase. Then, and then those two glucose would turn into another polysaccharide, which would be glycogen. As we move on through, and we are getting really tricky, we move on to the role of pancreas in our digestive system. The pancreas serves two functions in the breakdown of starch. It produces the enzyme amylase, which is released from the exocrine glands, and it produces the hormones insulin and glucagon, which are released from endocrine glands. The hormones insulin and glucagon regulate the concentration of glucose in the bloodstream, which controls availability to the cells. Insulin lowers blood glucose level by increasing glycogen synthesis and storage in the liver and adipose tissues. And the glucagon increases blood glucose levels by limiting the synthesis and storage of glycogen by the liver and adipose tissues. Most food is solid and in the form of large complex molecules, which are insoluble and chemically inert. The process of digestion therefore performs two key functions. It breaks down insoluble molecules into smaller subunits, which can be readily absorbed into the body tissue, or it, can, it breaks down inert molecules into usable subunits, which can be assimilated by cells and reassembled into new products. Now, modeling the digestion, which uh, is very important because sometimes the examiners will ask you about the modeling of the digestion. So a core function of the digestive system is to break down large molecules into smaller subunits that can be absorbed by cells. While cell membranes are impermeable to large molecules, such as polypeptide, polysaccharide, unless transported facilitated by proteins. The size of specific permeability of cell membranes can be modeled using the dialysis tubing, which is, this is the last part. The dialysis tubing contains pores typically ranging from 1 to 10 uh, millimeters in diameters and is semi-permeable according to the molecular size. Large molecules such as starch cannot pass through the tubing, however, small molecules such as maltose can cross. Unlike the membranes of living cells, dialysis tubing is selectively permeable based on charge such as ions freely cross. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that is the 6.1, the first part of the Unit 6 Human Physiology, but the end of digestion absorption. We'll see you later in the blood and 6.2, of course.